Welcome to Afternoon at the Museum, a production of iRedTech Corp. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Afternoon at the Museum. I am your co-host, Janine Stanley, and I am the Director of Customer Communications here at IRA. And today we have with us behind the scenes, pushing all the buttons, Mr. Ryan Bishop. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> and Ryan actually Hello. has us today. Welcome Hi. Clubhouse. <laughs> we are on Clubhouse hey, Clubhouse. and YouTube today. Very exciting. Yay. Yeah. And my co-host Stephanie Watts with me today. Yeah. Hello. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. No, wrong button. <laughs> um. Okie dokie. I hit the wrong we button. we have Clubhouse. I see. Well, we do have Clubhouse and we that, are waiting. That makes it all right. Whatever is wrong is now right. We have Clubhouse. Exactly. It and is. Sierra, you can't go hey wrong. Guys. All good. And we Love have House Agent and Sierra. Sierra. Hey, and Janine and Ryan. Sierra. And it's Friday. Excellent. Yay. And we are eagerly awaiting. However, um, we may not have him today. Michael Hudson. We have but, him. Oh, we, we do. Can. Hey, Michael. But he's not. But, here. Okay. <laughs> here we go. So just a second. Okay. Well, we will some, get uh, him. I'm sorry. We will get him. We will have Michael here. here. No worries. Excellent. All right. Yay. Okay. We will get Michael with us. But today we are going to take a look at a museum that is a lot of people have seen this museum. And I'm sorry, Michael. I didn't recognize you under under um, Giselle's name. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, this no, museum a not. lot of folks. <laughs> Okay, who uh, have been to Louisville for conventions of both the American Council of the Blind and the National Federation of the Blind have been to this museum, I would guess. However, um, you may not have seen or known that they have an online component to the American Printing House for the Blinds Museum. And we're going to show you this today. And I was bopping around there before we got started and said, wow, there's a lot of stuff on here. And there's some really interesting stuff. Now, this museum, we're going to talk about a bit of blindness history here. And unfortunately, poor Michael is having some difficulty. We will bring him in whenever we can. Uh, but Michael Hudson is the director of the AFP Museum. I'm sorry. APH Museum. Um, I, I was confused there because APH and AFB uh, did a bit of an exchange and APH actually got AFB's very extensive Helen Keller collection. And you guys, I, I did not get a, a photo of this, but maybe Sierra can look it up. There is actually Barbie just issued in their, I think it's called their Inspiring Women series. They now have a Helen Keller Barbie doll. How cool is that? Okay. I, I can't even imagine like, you know, your life's thing and you were made into a Barbie doll. Uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Almost. I did but find not. a picture of her actually. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so it looks like an article. It says Barbie adds Helen Keller to inspiring uh, women oh. doll lineup. And there's a picture of her in oh, the cool. lineup. So it is loading here. Oh, oh, awesome. Um, so basically in the photo, it has um, 
a image of a black and white, I believe, uh, school behind her. Um, and she's standing and smiling and she's got a uh, kind of medium brown hair that is kind of put up in an updo. Um, and then she has this uh, old fashioned blouse. It looks kind of like Victorian era blouse where it's like um, white or cream with a high neck and then ruffles and lace um, on the front of the torso. Um, and then she's got some ponteal details on kind of these ballooning sleeves with lace cuffs at the wrists. And then she's got a high-waisted skirt that is um, vertical stripes. Um, they are kind of a light pink and then like a very light grayish purple um, with black outlines in between each color. And she's got blue eyes and kind of a calm smile on her face. And she's holding a book that says Braille um, in gold. And then there's also the, um, the visual Braille for Braille on the book as well. Sorry about that. That would have been good to turn off before the uh, before the call. But that is way cool to have a Helen Keller Barbie doll. And I bet that they will be uh, maybe selling those at the museum. That would be very, very awesome. So we are going to this museum and it can be found at aph.org slash museum. And we're going to go today, Sierra, let's go to the, I think I gave you the collections page because the front page has a bunch of stuff on it, but the collections page, maybe it was exhibits. Yeah, um, it's we'll exhi start with exhibitions and programs is Ooh, this page. Yeah. Um, and then basically there's uh, two subsections. So one is online exhibits and then one is related exhibits. Yeah. And then there's bullet point lists um, underneath cool. each header. I thought we would check out the online exhibits because there are a couple in there that that really, you know, kind of poked me and said, hey, check this out. Awesome. So I see that there's four bullet points in that section. The first one is narrator jukebox. Um, the second one is building a future U.S. residential schools for blind and visually impaired students. And then there's uh, Mary Ingalls portrait of a 19th century blind woman. And then the colored departments of the schools for the blind. Stephanie. Hey, and there's Mike. <laughs> and we have, I believe, hopefully we have Stephanie here. All I right. see Stephanie. I think she might be on mute at the moment. Ah, thank here. you so much, Ryan, for doing your doing your wizardry behind the scenes. Whoa. Yay. Hey guys. It's hey, Mike. Mike. How are you? We are sorry about all the confusion. We are just uh, sitting here on the exhibitions page for the online uh, tour, uh, experiences here at the museum. Hello, and as we are connecting up Stephanie, uh, who is my co-host, um, I would here. love to- Am I unmuted? There she yeah, is. Yeah, you're good now. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was just yeah, babbling on there, Jane. Just babbling on. Excellent. No problem. No problem. There is no such thing as dead air in radio because somebody's no. always going to talk. And then that proves true for video as well. Yeah. So um, I'd like to introduce everybody, Mike Hudson, who is the director of the American Printing House Museum. And Mike, you guys just went through a big renovation, right? Well, the... Uh, I can't really say a big renovation. The, to tell you the truth, the printing house is always changing, right? Mm -hmm. Founded in 1858, we have 14 different buildings. And so every time I go down onto the Braille print floor, uh, you know, 
some press is gone and there's a new machine. I just saw a new Brello 650 being uncrated downstairs. Ooh, ooh, so, oh, Brello. Oh, not a yeah. Brello. Wow. <laughs> Brello is like, it's made in Norway. It's a, yes. you know, it's a digital press. Beautiful oh, wow. thing though. Wow. Production, major production machine, mm-hmm. I would guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've used the Brello wow. years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, gosh. I had a production part of my work life and uh, Brello is an awesome machine. Cool. Wow. Very cool. So the online portion in the museum, though, the website portion, I didn't even realize there was a website museum until Mm -hmm. we started talking about it. And we're kind of looking here. And what really caught me, of course, was the exhibit about the colored departments for the schools for the blind. And some of you may remember uh, Dana Lambert, who was here from uh, NASA. Well, Dana is working on a project to uh, get some first-person interviews from people who actually went to colored schools for the blind because there were such things. I want to look at that exhibit, Stephanie. And Mike, yeah, I don't know if you want to tell me, tell us a little bit about this exhibit. I'm going to click on the exhibit link. Okay. And before we launch into Mike's um, presentation, I just want to again welcome you, Mike, and ask if there's anything you want to say before we go on through the online exhibit as we um, get set for that. Feel free. Sure. Well, like everybody else uh, in the country, you know, our museum closed to the public on March 17th of 2020. Oh, my. So for the last year, uh, <laughs> You know, our our website really has been the only way for anybody to uh, explore any of the stories that we we tell here at the printing house. You know, the museum is really about the history of education and rehabilitation for people that are blind or visually impaired. So that's teachers and students and and uh, consumers and parents and all those stories. You know, uh, that it it you know the basic the basic story is that if you provide uh, some accommodations and some adapted materials, then that gives people the ability to achieve the things that they that they aspire to achieve. And and so that's what the printing house has been doing, and that's that's what the museum is about is all those things. And so th- this story, the story of of the uh, programs at the southern schools, uh, the southern residential schools, where the old slave states, if you want to think about it, oh, yes. Um, in most of those states. Uh, originally when their schools for the blind were created. And if you were African-American, you didn't get to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we, 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 this whole, the whole history of education, I mean, like the world history of education is about rationing, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. There was a time when if you were a young lady, you didn't get it. You didn't get an education. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Certainly, there's been plenty of times when if you had a disability, whether it was blindness or deafness, you didn't get an education, right? Uh, if you were intellectually challenged, you didn't get an education, weren't considered worthy of it, right? Or if you weren't in the right social class. This tells the story of what happens if your skin isn't the right color, right? So, so it's just odd if you think about it in a community of people who might not be able to tell yeah. If you're just sitting there chatting with each other, you might not be able to tell what color your skin is, right? Mm-hmm. Or who your parents are or any of that right. stuff. All Fair the much. things that we judge each other on, 
right? Yeah. And we and we all do that, right? We all do judge people, you know, based on some oh, characteristic, sure. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so in the South, uh, they they started after the Civil War creating these these what they called color departments. Of course, that's no longer a a term we use for uh, uh, when we talk about people's skin color, but but back then that was that's what they were called. Mm-hmm. So that's why right. we use that language. Um, but yeah, and so then, and then, uh, so each department, each each school would have a separate department, and it, like, Kentucky is the one I'm most familiar with because we're here in Kentucky and we're actually adjacent to the Kentucky School for the Blind. Oh, and wow. in Kentucky, they had a law that said that no school for black kids could be any closer than 200 yards to a school for white kids. Oh and, wow. Doesn't that blow you away? That's subjective. Wow. Yeah, it's got to be. T- so oh, when uh, in the when the school uh, in Kentucky, which was founded in uh, 1884, uh, when it was created, they built the 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 school building for the black kids exactly to the millimeter, 200 yards oh, wow. away from the other building. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh. And yeah, then there's some, some other interesting stories, and I know you want to explore the website. Let me just tell oh, you one but, more. Oh no, oh, no this is good. Tell this us. is good. Yes. So, you know, one of the things that comes up now, right? That that really is kind of a, a a flashpoint for people in discussions, race discussions in the United States, is about this blackface thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so a, you know, we'll find a picture of a celebrity. Uh, from an earlier time, maybe, or even now, where you know uh, they've gone to a costume party in blackface, and and and, uh-huh. and that spawns a whole discussion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are pictures in the annual reports of the Kentucky School from the 1920s of the white kids doing a black minstrel show. Oh, oh blackface, <laughs> oh, right? My. Oh my! And so we we look at those pictures and we kind of we wince, right? And we go, mm-hmm. oh, you know. But here's the thing: the orchestra for that show was made up of real black kids. Oh, that's <laughs> so. The, the kids playing the music in the orchestra pit were black, while the white kids are doing a blackface minstrel oh, show. How wild! I mean, it's just you can't write it. You know, nope. it's yeah. just nope. crazy. It's it's the crazy of racism. Yeah, mm-hmm. and well, and then it took a long time for, um, you know, the desegregation occurred very unevenly. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud to say, I guess I'm proud to say that in Kentucky, because I'm a Kentuckian, native Kentuckian, <laughs> but Kentucky and, and West Virginia were the two first states to desegregate mm-hmm. right after the Board of Education uh, versus uh, let's see. Board of Education at Topeka versus whoever. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. The, yep. the big, the big desegregation oh, Brown. case. In, Brown. Yeah, Brown. 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 Brown versus Board of Education yep. at Topeka, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So that's 1954. Kentucky and West Virginia desegregated in 1955, the very next school year. Mm-hmm. Wow. And a common story during desegregation of all schools is that uh, we, even when the schools desegregated, a lot of the staff at the at the African American schools lost their jobs. Mm. I don't know if you've heard this. No, but that did not happen, at least in Kentucky, because a, a lot of kids who I've talked to, of course, I talk about them as kids, but of course they're now in their seventies and eighties, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, right. Kids that that lived through that that process, 
and and have told me about the whole process of desegregation, like the 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 principal at the uh, at the African American school here in Kentucky became the music teacher and the band and the band leader at the white department. Oh. Uh, or at the not the white department, but then at the just the Kentucky School for the Blind, and they the, they said that nobody lost their job in that whole transition, wow. which is kind of an That's... unusual part of the story. Mm -hmm. If there's you... anything silver lining-ish about any of that, that's that is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot well, of things changed in a lot of people's lives as a result of integrating. It did it? Did mm -hmm. and uh, you know you would have uh, people. Well, I'm talking about just in general public schools. You'd have uh, you know principals at, at schools with their PhDs and then they end up being janitors, wow. you know, or something awful like that. It's just, it's not as it's, it's, you know, progress is, is halting, right? It comes in fits and starts and some good things happen and some bad things happen. And of course we're living through a lot of, of, of tough times right now. And that, that as we, mm -hmm. as, as mm -hmm. all those wounds and scars, you know, are still there. So mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that I think one of the last schools to you know, dissolve and be absorbed into the mainstream school for the blind, I believe was in Maryland. And that was in the 80s. Yes. Oh, was it in the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I can't believe it. And I'm just thinking, wow, that was, you know, I graduated from high school in 82 and went to college and all of that. My sisters were in high school then. And, you know, just thinking that, wow, that was contemporary, you know, yes. And yes. here was this segregated system. And, and mm -hmm. it took know. a long time to break it up. It really did. Uh, and like North Carolina was the first Southern state to create one of these segregated programs in, in mm. 1868. And one of the, it was one of the, also one of the latter ones wow. to desegregate. It, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, Brown versus board, as we've said, was 54. They didn't, they didn't integrate until 77. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and also, Kind of down inside the story is uh, there's integrating the classroom and there's integrating the dormitories. Oh, gotcha. and those didn't always take place at the same time. Uh huh. And I would imagine your online content for the color department is that what we called it there? Uh, is um, just rich with a lot of history on how it all evolved. I mean, in and as we move to all to that content. Um, is there a really big kind of 30,000 foot view, Mike, of the timeline of things that you want to share? Well, um, the, the first uh, uh, color department at a, at a residential school for the blind was in North Carolina in, in 1868. Right? Mm -hmm. okay. and, and then gradually all the states uh, created programs. And the whole idea was, you remember this whole myth of separate but equal, mm -hmm. okay? But that was never true. Okay, uh, Helen Keller, in fact, uh, uh, toured through some of the uh, color departments in the South. Uh, one that comes to mind is the Piney Wood School in Mississippi, oh, which was a, which was a awesome, famous uh, program for black kids in 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 rural Mississippi, and they created the. Uh, with that, with no state support at all, by the way, they created the first program for blind kids who were African American, and uh, mm. and and, oh, wow. and Keller visited them. And if I remember right, it was sometime in the '40s, and she found that you know their books were substandard, their equipment was substandard, their mm -hmm. their facilities were substandard. You know, so the whole myth of separate but equal was you know 
Yeah, it was, very never, much it was always separate and never equal. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Um, no. for what it was. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, and think about the inefficiencies of mm-hmm. having to operate two complete separate programs. Sure. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it certainly was not saving anybody any money to do it mm-hmm. that way. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, kind of. I'm kind of curious about the the shows that you mentioned in the 20s. Were the audiences segregated? Because if your children are playing in the orchestra, can you sit in there with the white parents and watch your kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I don't I don't know, but I can't imagine that you could. I can't imagine I, that either. <laughs> there's never a picture of the audience at one of these. I would love mm-hmm. to see that. I, you know, you know, historians have this kind of you know wish that they could just wave a magic wand and we could go back and mm-hmm. be there to mm-hmm. watch the whole thing play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you can't. So I don't know the answer to that question, but my wow. guess would be that that the Black parents weren't allowed to be there. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another irony, right? Yeah. I know. Huh? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Of course, in, you know, in residential schools, you know, there, there's a whole, there's a whole thing about segregation there alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not only segregation by race, it's segregation by disability at the residential schools, right? Uh, and initially, and you know, if you were blind or vision impaired and you wanted to go to school, you had to go to the residential school that was usually somewhere, maybe, you know, a five or six or 10 or 15 hour train ride away, depending on how big your state was. Think about Texas. <laughs> wow. It's a, Texas is huge, right? Yeah. And they, their school was in Austin. So uh, yeah. if you yeah. lived in San Antonio or Houston, Ooh. you know, you had a pretty good, pretty good train ride there and and you never you didn't get to go home you know a lot of a lot of times so that's another segregation another segregated model of education that uh and uh that we don't talk about a lot but that you know in the 20th century we started kind of gradually moving away from that model of and Mm -hmm. so that you know you're if you had a kid that was blind vision period they got to go to the neighborhood school like everybody else right well, shall we go to the online? Yeah, let's let's take a look. See let's what see what we, what we have on this page. Righty, so right now I'm looking at the top of this page. Um, and at the very top, it says, thus co- color was distinguished where no color was seen. State supported schools for the blind for African-American children. And then um, below there's a paragraph. Um, And that says, after the Civil War, the Southern states began to open departments for African-American children who were blind, usually in separate facilities. In the Civil Rights era, some schools for the blind integrated peacefully, while others dealt with lawsuits and threats, just as schools for sighted children. Um, And then below that, it says, overview, state-supported schools for the blind for African-American children, and desegregation of schools in the Civil Rights era. And then at the bottom of the page, Um, There is a table, Um, so above the table it says, colored departments of schools for the blind by state, follow the links below for more information about individual schools. And there's three columns, Um, so the first is school and it's organized by state, then there's um, established and it's the date it was established and then Mm -hmm. integrated and the date it was integrated. Um, There's also a references area at the bottom. And just because I'm in California and I'm curious, when was our California School for the Blind established and then integrated? Let's see. So California's not on there, Stephanie. Oh. California was never segregated. Oh, well, 
Okay. These are continue. all going to be Southern states. Every one of them was a slave state. Okay. Wow. And of course, California, California was always a free state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just when, when you think of the, um, <laughs> I don't even know the right adjective, but when you think about all of it, you, you, you miss the fact that you said that initially. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. to get I so mean, immersed in the, yeah. in the absurdity maybe is a good one. Absurdity. It's so interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, Sec- going to a school for the blind, if you were in California, you were already, you know, desegregated. You were already, you know, together with all different races of kids, all of that. And yet the rest of the country, not so much. Well, when I talked, yeah. we did a, a museum program a few years ago, and we actually invited back uh, kids. Well, again, <laughs> they weren't kids, but you know, people who had lived through that the desegregation period in the fifties, and they all told us that they had to be. They didn't know. All they knew was that a new kid was in their class. Mm-hmm. They didn't know why they were in. They just, you know, a new girl was in the class. You know, mm-hmm. and and later on, they learned that that you know. Uh, they were white or they were black or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that you had to be taught, you know, oh. to, to, you know, uh, wow. to distinguish it. Cause other than that, you know, you, unless somebody told you, you wouldn't know. So, which compounds the absurdity of racism that yeah. these kids, you know, as when they were children, of course, had, had to be taught color mattered mm-hmm. and then to, either ignore or dislike or out and out hate somebody because yeah. they weren't the quote correct color. And that's yeah. the absurdity of racism. It really, it really does, Stephanie. I mean, this, I think this story more than anything points out how absurd it all is. <laughs> it uh, truly is. Absolutely. Blind, blind people discriminating on the face of color. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and unfortunately, as we learned last year, you know, there are still a lot of people in the black mm-hmm. community that have, you know, have mm-hmm. learned these discriminatory things over their lives yeah. and yeah. and have these attitudes. And, you know, I, I don't get it. I really don't. Um, you know, and growing up, I went to I was um bust to a school for first and second grade because my local school was not quite ready for me yet. Uh, I don't think they were ever ready for me, but, <laughs> but um, they, uh, the Rehabilitation Act had not passed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I actually got to know Black kids in my elementary school, which was a good hour and a half away from my house. So that was a, you know, a three hour wow. commute every day. And it, but I had black friends, I knew black people, and I was really proud of that because nobody else in my hometown, you know, was like, mm-hmm. well, what mm-hmm. is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> it just seemed really odd to me that, you know, well, these are just kids. These are my friends. What are you right. talking it's, about? You know, exactly. Because kids always want to find a playmate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We are. One absolutely. So. Mike, if we were going to look at some interesting visuals here, because we do have on in our YouTube audience, we have um, some sighted folks some partially sighted folks. What might you direct us to in the museum here? Well, let's um, uh, let's um, uh, you want to stay in this exhibit or you don't want to look in a, in a oh, different Oh, we exhibit? can we can stay here. We can go anywhere. OK, well, let's let's go to let's go back out uh, to exhibitions and programs. Okay. 
But I imagine there's a lot of interesting stuff related to the tools that we use as yeah. blind people uh, or people with low vision. Because when I entered school, I had um, more vision than I have now, but I was considered back then the term was low partial, but I learned Braille and the, the implements <laughs> of learning Braille. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to, uh, let's go to research and collections, uh, Sierra. Ooh. All righty, research and awesome. collections. I do see that here. Okay. All right. And now let's go to uh, search our online catalog. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alrighty. Now, why don't you go ahead and describe that for us? All right, awesome. So right now um, we are on the search and online catalog and it's a list. Um, so there's kind of like an image to the left and then to the right, like a title and then um, a description and the option to view exhibit page. Um, so the first thing listed here is writing, braille slates, braille writers and writing guides. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a small image here. Um, and it says the early tactile alphabets developed for people who were blind or visually impaired were difficult to produce without printing press. Dot codes, however, could be easily written with simple hand tools. Charles Barbier, or is it Barbier or Barbier? Barbier. Barbier, who introduced the dot system. And then there's, uh, we can go to the page if you wanted to find out more about that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a list of other options. So if you want, I could read out all the uh, titles and you could decide which one you want to go to. Yeah, I'll be interested in hearing the titles. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the second title is Talking Books, Recorded Books, and Playback Equipment. And there is a small image of something that looks similar to a record player box. Um, there's tactile printing, first books and early presses. And then there's the small image of the uh, printing press. Um, then there's educational aids, spelling, math, geography, science, and music. And this looks like um, kind of a carving of South America uh, into wood with some labels on it. Um, and then there's large type book for students with low vision. And then there's a book cover that's uh, titled Science Every Day. We've got first schools, residential programs for children who are blind or visually impaired. And there's an image of school grounds and a building as well. And then APH Corporate Memory Project, our oral history. Um, and then we've got an image of, uh, looks like a printing house um, in black and white. And we've got Eye of the Beholder, images of people with vision loss in the 19th century. And there is a portrait um, of a woman, a very old fashioned uh, portrait. It's just kind of from um, shoulder up to the top of her head in black and white. And then there's the AER O&M division, Bledsoe Archives, the, professionali the professionalization of orientation, sorry, <laughs> orientation and mobility. Um, and there is some type of technological device there. It kind of looks like a box with a handle on the top and a lens, like two lenses on one side of the box. Any of those sound interesting. There's a description for each of them and then oh also gosh. the option to view the exhibit page. They all well, sound honestly, interesting. <laughs> I I would love it to have I'd love to have you describe some of the uh, early tools. Um, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with Perkins Brailler and I know the slate and stylus, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, for example, maybe fully sighted guests don't know, yeah. or maybe now with our great technology, maybe some blind um, individuals who didn't have the pleasure of a Perkins Brailler or the um, mm -hmm. 
there's another one like I'm thinking of that preceded the Perkins and I don't remember its name. I Stephanie, we have over 40 yeah. different yeah. Braille riders. Yeah. I, oh, I wow. can only imagine. So oh my gosh. If, if we can kind of dabble with the Braille riders for a yeah. bit, I think that would be a cool thing to, to plant that side by side with the Braille note touch. Yeah. <laughs> some of these great me. technologies that we have access to. I was describing yesterday for a young lady, I was talking to a student um, that um, uh, an on-m instructor asked me to speak to, and we were talking and had uh, was attempting to describe a slate and stylus to her. And I could tell this this, this oh young my. lady, she, she's eleven. She j- it just oh. was, you know. I I could I might as well have described Mars. So. Yep, it's like I have a computer. Why would I need that? Yeah, that was so unnecessary. Oh. So, yeah, let's let's see what we have in that collection. Yeah. Alrighty, so here um, there are some different options. So start exhibit, table of contents, list of exhibits, and then museum homepage. Go back to the homepage. And so here, um, I think it probably continues from where we were reading initially. Um, Mm -hmm. So then it says, um, let's see, Braille simplified the design, enabling blind people to read what they had written and to write to other Braille readers. The Braille slate used with a stylus that punches the dots remains basically the same today as when originally invented. Mm-hmm. Frank Hall developed the first successful mechanical Braille writer in 1892. The Perkins Braille writer introduced in 1951 is the most widely used model today. Sometimes blind people need to use manuscript or cursive writing. Handwriting guideboards were developed from cardboard embossed with raised lines or wood with parallel metal bars. Um, and then there is actually an image here of um, one of the uh, kind of wood. It looks like sort of like a frame um, with parallel bars. Um, and then the bars look like they might be made out of some type of metal. Um, Mark, you might know if that's the case. Brass. Um, brass, awesome. Ooh. And then there are kind of these little um, tiny square uh, lines going horizontally across the bars in a three rows on one of the bars, two rows on the other bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a picture the letters, of, I would imagine. Can I kick in there a little bit, Sierra? Oh, yeah, yeah go for it. So so that's an early board slate of similar to the one that uh, Louis originally invented to write his system. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are familiar with uh, slates today, you know that there are little pits underneath the mm-hmm. windows so that yes. when you take your stylus and emboss your dot, you get a nice uh, rounded mm-hmm. dot. Mm-hmm. But in these original slates, we call them washboard slates because instead of having pits beneath, they have grooves, oh. horizontal grooves. So uh, what you're seeing on the back there, Sierra, of that of the backing board on this slate is is multiple, multiple, multiple uh, uh, horizontal lines, and then there are holes pierced in the sides of the frame. And the, um, underneath the writing guides, which are made out of brass and they have little windows, there's two uh, pegs on the bottom of them. And so you can write two lines of, of, of Braille and then you lift the guide and lower it one set of pegs, you know, one yeah. set, you know oh, what I'm talking wow. about. Yeah. And that's your next two lines. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's a pocket slate that you have. This, this, is, this is a pocket slate. I <laughs> say, I've got a postcard yeah, slate this, here. You can see the back. Uh, there's yeah, postcard no, slate. Holes. Cool. We probably have um, more than a hundred different slate designs. Oh yeah. Wow. And yeah. almost all of them are in this exhibit. So oh, my yeah. gosh. Um, 
Yeah, there. I'm sorry, Sierra. There you go. Mm -hmm. just yeah. Elaborating there Amazing. a little bit. So no, if, that was excellent. Yeah. If we went to the museum, Michael, could we put our hands on all of those? You absolutely can. So oh. here's a cool here's a cool thing about my museum versus everybody else's museum. Okay. I say my museum, it's not mine, right? It's, it's, it's your museum, it's everybody's museum. But you know, I, I I'm obviously very uh, attached to my collection. Yes. But, so we actually in our this is particularly true in the slate section, we have a series of drawers that probably have about 40 different slate designs in them. Normally they're locked up. When people who are blind or visually impaired come visit, I unlock them, the drawers come out and you can you can feel uh -huh. them. So in most museums, the stuff that's locked up is locked up against people that are blind or visually impaired. But mm -hmm. in my museum, it's locked up against sighted people. <laughs> But we have all of our cases open, and so yes. uh, you, can, can you can, you can, yeah, we share things. Wouldn't it be ironic, don't you think, ladies, if if we had a museum full of things designed to be used by touch that we wouldn't let you touch? Yeah. So, so basically, what we do, yeah, is we we divide everything into three categories. Okay, first category is is our kind of our education collection, and those things mm -hmm. can be used to destruction right mm -hmm. then the biggest category of things we have are things that we're you know we're preserving and we must preserve them but but we have enough examples of them mm -hmm. that we can put one out where people can touch them oh, nice. and then the very last category and it's a very small category is things that are so precious that we can't let you touch them but what we're going to try and do is create a reproduction so that you can touch them. And the best example of that is probably the most precious thing in our collection is a copy of Louis Braille's 1829 Presede, okay? Oh, the Method. And that yeah. is the first publication of the Braille Code, okay? Mm. There are only six copies of that book <gasps> that we know of anywhere in the world, six. Mm-hmm. So it's precious. Okay. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's the Holy grail. Uh, mm -hmm. And so what we did was we went to our tactile graphics department. We scanned a page, the page where Louis actually lays out his original code. And uh, because the book was not in Braille, right? It was in raised letters. Mm -hmm. right? Have you guys ever touched raised letters before? Yep. I have. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so it was in raised letters because that's, you know, if you were going to teach Braille to people that are blind, you needed to give it to them in a code that they had, they were familiar with, right? And so, uh, so we basically took to our tactile graphics department, had them create a, a, a tactile page that we printed off on this special, really cool tactile printer we have, and then we thermographed it, right? Mm. So if you come, not only can you feel a reproduction of Louis's book, but I'll give you a page and you can take it home with you. Oh, you know, so. wow. Uh, but so we try to make reproductions there you know there's some things we just can't do either of those things uh, yeah. but in general if if we can't put it out where you can touch it we 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 give you a reproduction to explore well that's that's just what we would hope for and you're right mm -hmm. it would be heartbreaking to go to the museum and not be able to touch things and right. it's all mm -hmm. about you know education and, and for blind individuals yeah. so that just yeah. And think so, about how easy it is. Yeah. It's actually easier than museums make it out to be. Okay. So we have a lot of cases that normally they have plexiglass on them. They're mm -hmm. closed, but they open up. 
Exactly. So, the, so like our Braille writers, you were talking about our Braille writers, Stephanie. We, you know, they're in a in a in a, in a display, and they have lids, and mm -hmm. the Braille is there on the box. And when if you want to explore the item by touch, you lift the lid, and it slides back in, and then you can explore it. And then you close the lid back up, or you know, one of us comes along behind you and, and closes things back up. And then people who are sighted, they can explore it visually. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and so then we use a, a, a special museum wax called Renaissance Wax. Yes. And all the, because one of the reasons why that museum people don't want you to touch things is because there's oils in your mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. And then with the metal, it will corrode the metal over time. So we coat the Braille Rider with this Renaissance Wax and that protects it from the oils that are in your hands. Um, so, uh, I I get I'm so weird. I love the smell of Renaissance wax. My parents were in a museum. <laughs> I love that smell. It just I, I love, love it too, Janine. Yes, yes. That's a, so that's a, a, I, I hate to with. tell you this, Janine, but you just you labeled yourself geek. I know. Oh, oh, no one who has listened to the show is surprised at all that I am in the geek zone with that label. No. <laughs> All, well, I, all I can say is I used to like the smell of gas, but yeah, well, yeah, there's some yeah. danger to that. <laughs> a little danger to that, so I let that go. Yep. Yeah, well, I've, I've applied Renaissance wax to a number of museum pieces, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> back oh, in the nice. day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, okay, so we have the, the Braille writing tools, the hall, I think is what I was thinking of, and Sarah, is it possible to have a description of both the hall and the Perkins so people can um, yeah. really get um, that interpreted? Differences. Should I go and find that on Google? You can you can click on in here into this exhibit and we can find them both, yeah. I'm sure. Awesome. Ooh, yeah. let's, um, see. let's see. Let's go to the table of contents there. Table here. of contents. Got it. All right. And let's just go down here until we find a whole Braille writer. And by the way, there's there's hundreds of things in this exhibit alone. Okay, there's a whole Braille Rider right, right yeah, there. There's one. Do you have a preference as to which one I click let's, on? Let's do that first one right there, the black right, one. here. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's the one I remember um, as the kid is the black one and then the gray Perkins Brailler. And mm -hmm. something about the hall that we didn't get to use it that often, um, but it was there and it, it, it was an option. Stephanie, are you sure that you're not thinking about the new hall Braille Rider? Well, I'm I'm a little older than new. <laughs> well, but the new Hall Braille Rider, the new Hall Braille Rider was introduced in 1941. Okay, so maybe that is the new one. Uh -huh. Um, because when I came along, I, it was the 60s, and yeah. so yeah, yeah, it was probably but, the new Hall. Okay, so there's an old Hall and a new Hall. There is the the, okay. the old Hall, the Hall Braille Rider, and I'm I'm Sarah. I'm going to get out of your way here. I, I talked. Oh no much. worries. <laughs> yeah. But, um, the new Hall Braille Rider was invented in 1892 by a guy named Frank oh. Hall in Illinois, and it was okay. the first successful mechanical Braille Rider. Now I would be remiss if I did not tell you this little factoid. Okay. <laughs> Hall did not want to invent a Braille Rider. He hmm. wanted to invent a writer that would write in a code called New York Point. Oh, yeah. Because New York Point was the dot code that was being was predominantly being used in the United States. Uh, and that we could take we can go into that later. But Hall's school, the Illinois School for the Blind, they they didn't teach Braille. They taught New York hmm. Point. Oh. But the problem with New York Point, it was two dots high and a variable width. OK. Could be oh as many my. as four dots wide. Oh my! Oh, 
Oh. And there were reasons for that. But again, I'm, I'm trying to be brief here. But the problem is for a mechanizing New York point is that the cells did not always take up the same amount of space. They were variable oh. in width. And the Braille cell always takes up six, the six mm -hmm. spaces, even if there's only one dot in it, right? Right. One dot, right. five dots, six dots still takes up the same amount of space. Exactly. Machines do not like variable things. Machines like predictable things. Mm -hmm. So instead of inventing a point writer, he invented the Hall Braille writer. And that immediately gave the Braille system a technological advantage over New York Point. And was one of the reasons in the end why we use Braille in the United States today instead of New York Point. Okay. Well, that this, is a beautiful factoid. Oh, I never I, I'm trying that. to figure out how you would write New York Point. <laughs> wow. Well, it, it, it used, I mean, we can go into that if you want to, Janine. Maybe that's for another day. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I, we could probably spend, you know, yeah, much, much time exploring. That's a workshop. Yeah. So what, does, what does this look like? See, I need to pay yeah. more attention at the conventions. I think, you know, <laughs> need to so take that field. actually a description written out here already, which is pretty oh, cool. Okay. Um, there's an object ID, um, a title, so Hall Braille Writer. Um, and then the creator was Frank Hall, who invented it. So it says, black uh, enameled aluminum frame resting on four black rubber feet stenciled in gold on steel bar above keyboard. And then in quotes, it says the Hall Braille writer slash patent pending, end quote. Arched aluminum bar extends backwards from the front top of the frame to the upward writing aluminum embossing head protruding through a slot in the carriage. Keyboard has six black enameled wooden keys with beveled fronts. Oval black rubber space key is mounted in the middle of the is mounted in the middle of the keyboard, projecting above and slightly forward of the dot keys. Mm -hmm. All keys are housed in a yellow celluloid covered wooden keyboard shield bolted to the frame with a black enamel tin plate back plate. Aluminum carriage with white hard rubber platen and smaller red rubber covered steel paper roller. Natural finish wooden plate knobs on both sides. Four rolled nickel plated steel paper storage rings bolted under carriage. Toothed nickel plated carriage release bar with angled lever on left is mounted on front of carriage. Stamped into release bar is quote, made by SJ Seafrid. Chicago, Illinois, USA 7775. And then it says carriage return bells screwed under carriage on left. Tension for carriage provided by a spring loaded pulley attached to a carriage with cotton cord. And that is the description of this. <laughs> Sounds like a work uh, of art. Oh, <laughs> well, right Sarah, you think you, you you think you could you would have described it quite like that? Probably cool. not. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I that is a lot of description. Black enamel and the natural wood together. Yeah, That's and the cool. yellow sitting yeah. in the yellow and uh, you know, something that we talk about a lot uh, here um, is how much is enough description and how much is too much. And, and we find that when we talk to people that are blind or vision impaired, there's a really wide range of how much description people want. You know, some people would be happy to say black metal machine with six keys, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And exactly. then there are other people that <laughs> want all of that. Want all that. Yeah. 
but that description was not actually written per se as a as a visual description mm-hmm. that was written by me i will add as a mm-hmm. documentary description that's what's in our computer database and what we really need to do ideally is go back and write a more write a web friendly description does that make mm-hmm. any sense but oh, that, yeah. yeah we were able to quickly automate these things and get them out there by just using what we already had in the, in the data computer database the collections database yeah, that's the kind of description that I think someone who really wanted to understand the inner workings of it would really appreciate. And then there, there are those of us probably in the middle who say, you know, um, as a kid, I remembered it was, I don't know, was how many feet wide or how many feet deep or high or whatever, um, and that it had black keys. And they were, I remember them differently than the Perkins, which was gray, all gray, all gray all day. Um, and had the keys that are, you you put your fingers in them and it felt a little recessed. Yeah. If I can remember. And, um, the carriage return. And then the, there's a piece of course, where you roll the paper in. Uh And then on the other side, there are these things as the paper's being rolled in that allowed you to kind of set margin a little bit. So, I mean, I, I would have that kind of description of things only to, uh, to as it just relates to my memory but and how it was used more than and how it was yeah, used exactly yeah. well, let me, but let me I, ask you this stephanie as i love this this is a great conversation you all had both perkins and new hall braille writers in your in your writing mm-hmm. area correct yes did you have a preference um i was taught on the perkins i mm-hmm. think the the new hall was more um by the time i came along i don't know if the perkins was a newer purchase, not a new, per se, new, mm-hmm. brand new device. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't call it device back then, but, you know, I don't know. The kids were, in other words, the kids in my group, we were being taught on the Perkins, but the hall was there. And maybe- How did you feel there. if you got stuck with one? Like if you got <laughs> stuck like with them? You I did? just didn't like it. <laughs> you didn't like it. And so my boss, Gary Mudd, I don't know if you've ever met Gary, but well, Gary's now retired, but Gary uh, grew up going to a residential school for the blind. And he used to mm-hmm. laugh and see the, the new hall was made here at APH. Okay. That, that Braille writer was made in Louisville at, at the printing house. But Gary always used to talk about how the kids at KSB would rush over to where the Braille writers were so they didn't get stuck with a new hall. Nobody wanted- it was a piece of junk. You know, the, th- the thing is, is that the Perkins Brailler has just been such a great Braille, manual Braille writer, mm-hmm. really. And and everybody and their brother and APH has tried again and again to come up with a better Braille writer and not been able to do it. I, I, can't, do I it. can't even imagine. Can't do it. <laughs> I, I mean, one in my the, basement the, from the 50s, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, you well, can I chalk have... an 18 wheeler with it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and, and then and then take it out and it'll write. It's yep. a, it's <laughs> it's the perfect <laughs> machine for kids, you know, who are going to yeah. be pretty no. hard on a on a typewriter. I was in public school and um, we had our, uh, we called it the resource room back then. And yeah, yeah, when it was time to be in there, if you had braille work, you were scrambling to go over to the Perkins. <laughs> oh God, I got stuck with a hall. <laughs> well, that <laughs> happens, Stephanie, that happens all over the world. Even exactly. in Japan, Japan had some uh, braille writers that they had developed in the 40s and 50s and 60s, but as soon as the Perkins shows up, 
all of those Japanese braille writers just die uh, yeah. for lack of yeah. sales because the Perkins wow. is just such a superior it, machine. It's a tank. You, you can run over it. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just very. You make a great take, weapon too, you know? <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot to make it not work. And I had right. a that just stopped working, but it was a, a lifetime of working them that, you know, made them stop working. I, I think so, it turns out that durability, uh, and obviously it's a great, it writes well, right? Yes. You get good braille with braille. it. You know, but, but, but it has some some drawbacks that people have been trying to fix and, and we haven't been heavy. able to come up with a better one. Like it's heavy. Uh, it's hard to press the buttons down, you know? So if you're a little kid or if you're maybe older or small, yeah. you know, those yeah. keys are a little heavy. Yeah, yeah, And uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as a as a kid with the Perkins, so you, you're used to that. And then it's time to learn to type. Yes. And of course, now I'm really going to date myself. We have the, the old Smith Coronas and uh, the, you know, the others. And, and us kids are just banging on this typewriter <laughs> keyboard. And yes. even those keyboards compared to what we use now with our normal oh, and computer the, keyboards. The electric you know, typewriters came yes. out and we thought we had died and gone to heaven because we didn't have to bang on them anymore. I, and but we were banging <laughs> on the keys so hard. I think it's like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. But, you know, you're, you're a kid and mm-hmm. you're used to just doing your thing with Braille. And then you get onto yeah. this typing keyboard and you're... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was oh, hilarious, yeah. probably to watch <laughs> little fourth grade kids just hang on this typewriter. Sierra has pulled up. Sierra has pulled Ooh. up a, a an early Perkins, but it's oh. not the one Sierra that they're talking about. I figured this one's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, it's a Perkins Model A from uh, 1907 or so. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah that's- Let's yeah. add that description because yeah. I know the other Perkins. <laughs> so. You could probably still write with that thing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. So um, here, this is the Model A. And there's, I can let you know, like uh, the information they have. There's, there's another description again, kind of uh, to keep a record of that kind of information. There's dimensions, date uh, made by, place of origin, and then provenance. Um, and then credit line as well. So if you wanted to know any of the other stuff, I could let you know, or I could read the description Let's first. Let's do the description. Huh? What, do you yeah, what were you going to say, Stephanie? I was wondering about the dimensions, so, but that's yeah. the description. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so the dimensions on here, um, height, it says 2.5 inches. Width, it says 15.125 inches. And dimension is 3.375 inches. Um, and then it says rectangular black enameled steel plate body on a black wood base. Base has a rounded extension with a raised rim under the front to form a keyboard tray. Three rubber pads tacked to bottom to cushion the writer. Fixed arch die box on front middle. Six steel braille keys with rounded wooden pads angle out from a central trapezoidal nickel plated steel space key. Eighth key on left, currently inoperable and of unknown fist. Hmm. Nickel-plated steel carriage with two black enameled wood paper feed knobs. Paper feeds between wooden and uh, knurled steel rollers. Rolling around the wooden roller inside a stationary bright aluminum tube. Two line advanced levers on left side of carriage. Right and left margins stops on bar at front of carriage small oval carriage release lever on extreme right of the carriage, automatic line end bell inside body, 
Stamped in middle of bar on the front of the carriage is Perkins uh, INST period model A. Stamped on the left side of same bar, um, eight in quotes. And then it says stenciled in gold on keyboard shield, the Perkins Braille Writer slash Perkins Institution slash Watertown Mass patent pending. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a few pictures. There's like four pictures of it from different angles as well, from like the sides and the front, um, and then also the back. Sounds really my question, small. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does. And I was going to say, my question to you is, how is that different from the one I described? I mean, the one I... Right, right. So, so this thing, uh, it has wood. It has a wooden base, okay. uh, which wow. you, don't, you don't find that in later models. Uh, it's also, the parts of it are they're not very sturdy. And so all of the Perkins, the Perkins Model A, the Model B, the Model C, they were all really unreliable. They broke. You couldn't get replacement parts. Uh, they just didn't, you know, th these were their first efforts, you know, and uh, they were all inspired by the Hall Braille Rider. Um, and they also were influenced a little bit by a German guy named Oscar Picht who invented the Picht Braille Rider in Europe uh, in the late 1900s. And he, his keys splayed out. If you take your fingers and splay them out in front of you, yeah, the keys Ow. do not, they, they splay out in it oh. like, yeah, Ow. like that, as opposed Ow. to coming out straight the way that the keys on the Perkins. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that would be carpal tunnel in the making. Yeah, early. I was going to say, yeah. ouch, ouch, yeah. ouch. Well, somebody thought it was a great idea, and you, you there are probably 10 or 15 different Braille writers that all use that same design, so they, they saw that, and they thought it was a great idea. I don't know. Wow. But there are some really weird ones, like uh, there's a, there's one called the Pike Glauser. It's a British one from the 40s, and on it, the keys are on the outsides. The, there are three keys on the left and three keys on the right on the outside of the Braille writer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, oh, exactly like Stephanie, that. I'm putting my hands like with my fingertips pointed at my computer screen. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, that, yeah. I feel like I was playing an accordion. <laughs> so, you know, well, just, you know, it's like this. Okay. So think about the better mousetrap, right? Yeah. So every blind kid that had an uncle who knew even skip about inventing and tinkering and building some oh looked at whatever they were using right and said to himself i could do better than this right than mm -hmm. yeah so can they, we have a visual description i mean i'm sorry i no. like to cut you off but i want to have sierra pull up one of those so that our fully sighted folks can can actually see that yeah, that is already. amazing do you yeah is it p-i-c-h-t braille writer that one that's right that's okay. right okay Yep, I yeah. did find that one here. Yeah, let's have them see that. Oh so my gosh. I, I can only imagine the... <laughs> Tell you what, right. uh, uh, Sierra, go back and look for P-Y-K-E. P-Y-K-E? P-Y-K-E. No. I don't see one coming up here on the... Pike Glauser is the, is the name of the... Glauser. Yeah, actually, get this, ladies. Helen Keller... They, when she visited uh, Great Britain in 1946, while she was there, her house burned down, by the way. Bad, mm. bad year for her. Oh. Um, but um, she, they gave her a Pike Glauser, the one I'm talking about where the oh keys my. are on the side. And she loved it. Mm -hmm. And it's in this, it's in oh. this, uh, this uh, collection that we got from AFB. Yeah. Yeah. Her original Braille Rider, the one that Helen Keller 
wrote on is is in this collection i can't wait Ooh. to yeah there you go you got it, it. this one here that one right there yes yeah. oh and and what does that look like sierra with the keys on the side on the side that's just yeah. gotta be <laughs> oh, oh right good oh, luck wow, with yeah. this sierra we're gonna test <laughs> we're gonna test sierra's description skills here all <laughs> right so i'm not sure if it's just a picture you can correct me if i'm wrong but it looks like is it kind of like elevated a little on a slant or is that just saying yeah so so that piece on the bottom is actually the writing table it's folded mm -hmm. under in storage when it's actually in use it would fold around to the back of the machine and up uh, and paper would rest on it and that gotcha. would feed underneath the wow yeah, and the Ooh. keys are elevated kind of too on the sides. I wasn't uh -oh. expecting them to be so high up. Oh. Um, and and they're that, like a, that black uh, long bar between the keys, that's the space bar. Oh, your thumbs, oh. So your thumbs your... would be down there on the space bar. Oh, and, so it'd be like this? Yes. That's yeah. about the right division, Stephanie, because it holds your, the three keys on each side are probably 10 or 12 inches apart. Holy space moon. bars right. super long too. Yeah. Wow. So Jenny and I'm pointing at the screen and then yeah. I've got my got like, yeah. Oh yeah. that wow. Ergonomically that's that would all be long. seems like your wrists would get very tired. Your wrists, I think it might your hurt shoulders, your wrist, but boy, that would your be muscles. I would love to play mm -hmm. with that. That would be so interesting to try to type that, on. Well, bear in mind that they see. only they probably only made this for just a few years. It, oh yeah. It, yeah, it that, didn't last. But Helen was, liked it. Okay. So fascinating you know, to their own, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that's an, another interesting factoid about Helen Keller that yeah. she actually had a Braille writer that was unusual. Well, we would call unusual and that mm -hmm. she really liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here's a, here's another little factoid. About well, in the 1930s, so 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 Hall invented his Braille writer in 1892, and then a bunch of different manufacturers made it, right? And so mm -hmm. in the 1930s, American Foundation for the Blind was saying, you know, we need we need an updated, we need a modern Braille writer for the <laughs> 30s, right? Because it's it's modern, right? Yep. So they looked at the new hall and they decided not to use it. And they hired a Smith Corona mm -hmm. to invent a new Braille writer for them. And it's this gorgeous, bright aluminum air uh, a Braille writer uh, inspired by aircraft and automobile design. Oh right? my gosh, an Art Deco Braille writer. It's an How Art Deco cool. Braille writer, Janine, yes. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and, but Helen hated it. Mm. <laughs> and she was working for AFB. Helen said no. Oh, no. And she was, was working for AMB. She was working for oh. AMB. Yeah, if you if you look up Foundation, Sierra, Foundation, you'll find it's called the Foundation Writer. Oh. Oh my. There you go. Interesting. Oh my. There's another one I would love to see. Yes. That would be fun. Oh yeah. wow. That art one deco. is very art deco. That's pretty cool. It <laughs> With the cool. rounded it? corners and the oh yes. my gosh. Like shiny chrome. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, you could put it right next to a Pan Am Clipper or any of those 1930s oh, tri-engine, you know, uh, wow. things like you see in Indiana Jones. Yep. And, uh, yep. and uh, it would it be, it's perfect. Yeah. Right there. Oh. So I, I, Janine, I don't know what you mm -hmm. want to do on time, but I have a question. Just oh, to... let's, let's go for it. We're going to, since we got a little bit of a late start, let's keep going yes, okay. here. This is like okay. totally... Okay, totally so what, grossing. right? Oh, and while we're talking about writing implements and things like that, mm -hmm. how about that abacus? You guys have <gasps> yeah. to have. 
Yeah. God, I have an abacus. I so let's go back, let's go back no to idea. the exhibit. I know. Uh, and list of exhibits. Yes. List of exhibits. Now go down to educational aids. There you go. Uh-huh. I learned go some to, math on an abacus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now go to our table of contents and look for oh. an abacus. There's a ton of them in there. So, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> my parents bought me one, but... We didn't and there's have any a Cuba rhythm slate exactly. and a Taylor slate and a bunch of different arithmetic slates that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> oh my! Uh, oh yeah, man. so many. It's a long list. There's so many cool things here. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to focus. <laughs> there's your napkins. Oh my gosh! Oh, That's there it the is. Large Cranmer. Huh? Very good. Ooh. So, Mike, is there a standard abacus that pretty much everybody used at one point, or were we all yeah. over the map with the abacus? <laughs> well, so, so you know, the abacus is an Asian calculating device, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it works in lots of different ways. And in some countries, it's called a Soria bond. And oh. there's two or three other different names, uh, depending on what country you're in. But uh, all the Asian countries, Japan and China and Korea and that sort of thing had a, a, a an abacus beads on a on on rods and they worked in sometimes you had you know beads in different places but there was a guy named Fred uh, Gasson oh, who yes. worked here <laughs> at APH and at the time uh, however he was working for the Kentucky Department of the Blind and this is back in the in the fifties and sixties and there was another guy there named Tim Cranmer and. Uh, they were both very inventive dudes and and they were on some, you know, they were at some conference or something in San Francisco. And as you do when you're in San Francisco, they went and had a, a, a they went to Chinatown, right? Yeah. And so Fred was buying something in some little shop and he hears this click, 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 click. And he's like, what are you doing? And, you know, shopkeeper's like, I'm adding up your, you know, the sale on an abacus. And so Fred's like, can I see it? So then Fred starts collecting these things, right? Oh. And, he, and he quickly realizes that the, the problem with the abacus is that if you, if you drop it, which kids drop things all the time, <laughs> mm -hmm. the beads go all over the place and you're right. whatever, wherever you are in the middle of your calculation, it's all lost, right? Right. And, and he knows that there are all these other math arithmetic tools that are designed to help kids replicate help blind kids replicate what sighted kids do with a pencil and a piece of paper where you mm -hmm. put a, a math problem into columns and it kind of stores the various steps of the arithmetic problem because see the thing is you don't do math you know you do you break a, a, a complicated math problem down into a series of simple ones right that you mm -hmm. memorize the answers to right but 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 you know, the, the ways that have been invented for blind kids to be able to replicate that, that process. So you could go back and see, if you made a mistake, you could go back to each individual ones of the steps mm -hmm. in the math problem and see where you went work. wrong. But right. Show your work. Those were imperfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. so Fred, Fred basically breaks, he collected all kinds of abacuses. And by the way, if you come to my museum, I have Fred's entire abacus collection. Oh my gosh. Mm. So you can look at abacuses from all over the world. And there a lot of them are, by the way, on this online exhibit too. But um uh because he studied all kinds of different abacuses, because you know, some of them use beads, but some of them use little levers that flick mm. over as opposed to oh. sliding up and down on a on a on a rod. Oh. Yeah, I think we had wooden beads. Yeah. 
Yeah, wood and, and plastic. And, yeah, mine and, was plastic. He even yeah. had one, one of them in his collection uses rosary beads from a Catholic oh, wow. you know, rosary. <laughs> Don't, I, uh, Fred's probably in trouble with the big man for God, that I was one. Just but, gonna uh, I, I, I was just going to I'm not going to do that. <laughs> some explaining, but, I bet. Yeah, some explaining, yeah. But Fred, if you knew Fred, he was, he's been gone now for a few years and we miss him every day he was amazing meeting him way back yeah. when Fred really was an amazing man guy. with a great sense of humor and uh but uh he came up with this he put a felt backing underneath the inside the frame and it, it it provided the tension that you needed so that the beads wouldn't uh slide out of place you can if you're in the middle of a calculation you could drop it and uh mm-hmm. and the beads stay in the same place uh, was that true for the ones you grew up using? I think stuff? so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, definitely we, not mine. And not yours, honest, yeah. yeah, no. And honestly, we we as kids, we didn't drop it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. was we so seldom used it, and it, we yeah. were, you know, supervised very um, closely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know that it was just kind of that. Okay, yeah, you could do that on the abacus, but then let's go over here to the slate. We had the math slate. Yes. With the cubes yes. and all the other. But you had cube rhythm. Yeah, oh, which yeah. is a French invention, by the way, from like about 1886. I have a, a friend of mine that uh, is a curator uh, at the Association Valentine Aoui in Paris, which is Ooh. a school where, uh, where uh, uh, Louis went. And uh, no matter what happens, if I'm asking her about something, she goes, oh, yeah, we invented that. And, in, you know, <laughs> you know, 20 years before you invented it, we already had that. Uh, <laughs> It's the only thing nowadays they allow on standardized testing. Really? Um, yeah. So now, it, like, it's interesting because, like, I remember back when I was when I was in school, uh, they they said that you could take a Perkins with scratch paper, or you can take an abacus. An abacus. Um, but they wouldn't wow. let you use anything else for standardized tests. And it's so fascinating now to, to hear that story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, Fred. Fred came back and, and and Tim Kramer, they came back to uh, Kentucky and they, you know, they, they fiddled around with a lot of designs and they developed the Kramer abacus. And then of course they had to go out and test it. Right. Mm-hmm. So they went to three or four, I can't remember now which schools, but I think one of them was in Philadelphia. And of course, always in Kentucky, the poor kids next door to us are always the <laughs> guinea pigs for our product, right? oh, I bet. And so they introduced the abacus to the classroom and, and, and they, and then they they test the kids, you know, their math proficiency, you know, mm-hmm. before and then, you know, weeks later, weeks later, weeks later. So they test it, no change. Mm. Kids are not doing any better mm. than they were doing before. So they're like, ah, you know, okay, you know, eh, fail, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they leave, right? But they leave the abacuses in the classroom and the kids keep using and when they test them months later, the kids had grained, gained multiple grade levels Whoa. in math. Because, uh, and this plays with your story, Ryan, about only being able to use an abacus, because an abacus really replicates the, it, 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 it assists you in understanding the underlying theory of addition and subtraction mm-hmm. without, without doing the math for you. You're still counting and yes. adding and subtracting it's just records your steps right yeah. in yes. ways and and so suddenly and so they're like you know you know they get a phone call and they're like hey 
something is happening here and we don't exactly understand what it is. And Fred and them, they go back in and they do the, do they test the kids again? And uh, it, and they, you know, it, it, it has proven to be, you know, uh, a, a, a another tool uh, for certain kids, you know, that really helps them kind of get the concept of, of addition and subtraction. So. Well, it's the tactile part of that, that yep. we needed that, no. that I remember having with the slate math slate um, version mm -hmm. and you know as difficult as it is for blind kids to learn math the you know and, and get the concepts the tactile makes a difference the more complicated the you know further you go the more complicated things get and the slate's only so big yes mm -hmm. you only yes. got so many um to work with and yeah. um, then you your fingers get tired and the all, all of that I won't go into that but you know <laughs> the, the idea being that you, you you just don't do as well in math if you don't have yes. those concepts yes. so I'm um, I'm gonna take us one other place um, and I don't know if it's here in the museum <laughs> but I know APH just did a a uh, I think it was a four-day workshop um, with coding that? Yes. Are you yes. Oh, jumper? yeah. Eco jumper, and yes. I can't wait to put my hands on <laughs> some of the the tools associated with code jumper because oh I tried to learn to code, tried to yes. teach my years ago, and um, I just I'm very pleased for young students to get their hands on code <gasps> early. Mm -hmm. and yep. It's going to be game changer. Make it a part um, of them. Yeah. Well, this is the this is a this is a product that uh, it just introduces the logic of coding, mm -hmm. uh, but it does it like you talked about, Stephanie, in a tactile way. Yes, you've got these these things that you manipulate, uh, mm -hmm. and if you manipulate them correctly, then the program works. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is a uh, it's a it's something that was developed. Now, now I'm, remember, I'm the museum guy, right? <laughs> so it's the old stuff that I know about more than the exactly. new stuff. Oh, let yeah. me take you. I brought up an image of the new coat jumper. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that look like fun? Doesn't it does. Look like fun. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm going to have a ball learning that. Mm -hmm. I am. Oh, yeah. So yeah. here. They're going to be in the museum one day. Like it, it, it will, but hopefully not for a long time. Hopefully it's a product that has a long life. So look, ladies, exactly. we've talked for, gosh, almost we, an hour, and we we've touched have. on just a few yes. things. Every so one of things. these exhibits that's online that we talked about has, you know, has, you know, Dozens and dozens and dozens of things in it. And uh, it's so long the list, and there's so much cool stuff on here. Yeah. Oh that my you gosh. Could, like, we didn't even talk about the crossword puzzle. You know? oh. <laughs> I'm really interested in the oh. maps. There are a lot of really cool uh, maps are learning. beyond cool. I yeah. And I have the maps. I had the maps yep. in my school when I was a kid, too, and the crossword. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, and my we... little tuck away stylus here. I love this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. And they don't make them anymore, do they? Well, the stylus, the whole, you know, slate and stylus business is just dried up. Uh, <gasps> yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. It's I think so it's going to be a cost. 
I think that in the long run, there'll be a cost on Braille education on that. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, it's pen and paper for us, you know, that, that's, yeah, that's my pen. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. When technology dies, you can you got it. slate and stylus and take a note. Yep. Got and, it. Yeah. And yeah, somebody, you're right. Somebody had me a price. Yeah, I think it'll awesome. be a Somebody had me a page slate once, and I'll say, I, I can't get around it. Like, I'm used to the four-line yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes, like, and moving it down the you know, board. I had one Yeah, moving it down the board, boards. finding yeah. a little hole and lining it up, and, yeah. you know, moving yeah. out a page slate. And I was like, this is cheating. Oh, like, I, don't... <laughs> I love my page slate. Oh, my gosh. But then I totally lost track, and I forgot, you know, it's got the little numbers on the sides of the lines, and it's got mm-hmm. the little, you know. I still, I, I still consider uh, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So... That cheating, like I don't know, like I... Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I bet I could spend a week in this than... museum and never be, oh, no, never bored or anything. Yeah, I'll tell you, the one thing I'll never, one thing I'll never forget is carrying the Perkins Brailers through school, and then I remember. Um, when my schooling was almost done, they came out with the plastic ones, and I hated those so much. But oh. <laughs> almost hate, hey Ryan, almost everybody did hate them. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Arkins was heavy, but it was durable. Uh-huh. I, you know, you you had mm-hmm. good arms. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend say, you know, if she she had everybody scared those, to bully her because she just swing that Perkins at him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then they came out with the uh, the electronic ones, and I and, and I didn't oh, like yeah. those either. Like yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the, the I hated the electronic. Ones. Yeah. Yeah, I have a Mount Batten up here on my shelf, and uh, Ooh, it's up here. Yep, yep. Wow. Cool, but I didn't get the. A keyboard attachment for it and now i can't mm. find the power supply so <laughs> you know what i mean so what you've got actually Janine, a, you, like my right? one of my favorite <laughs> <door stop>. mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i love and i I'll, I'll, I'll say this like one of my favorite things that i went through school with um that i got to play with was a braille plus and um Ooh. i'll never forget it because it was one of my most favorite things that aph uh had and yeah it yeah. was the people that were good with the, the, the you know, when, when you love those little uh, Braille note taker uh, mm-hmm. devices. They're just, you know, and, you know, think about, think about this. Think about how much is on your cell phone now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The amazing amount of, yeah. of, of, of mm-hmm. fairly accessible information that's on mm-hmm. your cell phone. It's, it's transformative, really, it is. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, like, like, I don't mean to, you know, but it's Friday and my wife probably wants to see me again. So. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm sure we could spend all yeah, day yeah. here and we We're would love to. Way too much fun. We are. We a new talking calculator that I've been, or a talking wallet on here, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. wild. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, there's so, so much I, cool stuff. Yeah, I want everybody to, you know, feel free to explore the website and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, and I look forward to having all of you come to the museum uh you, you know, are this an are you open we are this... not open yeah. is this an reference to open this perhaps are my hope you know and i don't know you know what it's like wherever you guys are in kentucky mm-hmm. everything has been getting a lot better mm-hmm. and, and lots of things are opening up and and the guidelines are all loosening and yep. i i strongly suspect that we will reopen for tours in june i really feel strong we have a a chat message really quick asking if uh, this is an access location i don't for ira yeah yeah it is is. 
Oh, great. Is it an online access offer? Uh, all I know is that um, we I have three of the little portable Samsungs with the glasses. Ah, and those are no, those no longer are working. Oh, so we don't have kidding. those anymore. So now it's just on everybody's phone. Okay. But mm-hmm. we will check into this, folks, because. But, hey, if this yeah. is an online one, yeah, because if this is an online one, I can oh. go at it. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll do it today. We will check and make sure and see because when a lot of our museums um, re upped to um, resubscribe, we made them online as well as in person because of COVID. So many people were doing online and this is such an amazing collection that just getting the descriptions of some of these with the agents is totally fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, this is awesome. So you can find this particular museum at aph.org forward slash museum. And you can also get to it. Uh, I just type museum in the search box on the main website, but you can go right to it. And if you happen to be in Louisville for a convention over at the Galt House or any place else in Louisville, uh, go and take the tour because now I really want to. <laughs> well, and I hope there's a gift shop. You know, there's... Oh, yeah. Is there a gift shop, Mike? <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty lame. Oh. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It's, okay. it's Are you going to have the Helen Keller doll, though? Yeah, well, you know, I tried to buy one this morning and it was already sold out on Amazon. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Wow. So, so anybody out there who got one already, I'm envious <laughs> of you. You are quicker with you are quicker with the you know buy button wow. than I was. That but, is but um yeah, those things are gonna be collector's items for oh, sure. God. And uh no doubt. We, That's we so cool. need to get it's really a gorgeous little doll, really. It's it's quite respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounded like, like it's it. not like Barbie in an old dress, you know. It's yeah. right. It's, it's it's nice. Her hair is Very right, and yeah, it's good. Oh. It's good. So um, it looks more nice. like a real person, I think, than like the traditional Barbies yeah. from mm-hmm. the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think mm-hmm. that whole collection is like that because I have right? some of the the astronauts in there and everything, and it's just totally cool. But you know, one of the great things about a trip to the printing house beyond the museum, you know, if you if you're into history, of course, we have a great museum and lots of stuff. But just a tour of the factory mm-hmm. for anybody who's grown mm-hmm. up, you know, reading talking books, reading braille books, using large type books, or using our educational mm-hmm. aids, like most of you guys have talked about, mm-hmm. you know, it's fun, you know, to get to come in here and 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 explore uh, how how they're made. Yes. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a mecca. Larry Skukhan, who who just retired not so long ago from our technical yes. research department, oh, yep. described yep. described uh, APH as you know the mecca. You know, <laughs> so we've got to come to Lord. So many yes. <laughs> we have well, I've added you to the destination cities. Yep, there yeah, you it's go. Bucket, it's definitely bucket list. Yeah. So <laughs> and we love having visitors, and uh, uh, I, I'll tell you one last story. I know I'm been trying to get off here but there's a there was a lady named mitzi friedlander who read in our talking book studio yes, for, for decades yes. literally from 1963 until just a few years ago and yep. she recorded more talking books than any other narrator in the history of the program oh, i mm-hmm. believe that when, if mitzi looked out through the window and saw we had a tour with somebody who was visually impaired she would stop her recording, you know, and she would come out. And of course, she was the grand, you know, oh. uh, uh, you know, diva, you know. Yes. Uh, and she would come out and greet you, and, you know, talk to you about your favorite book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, her, I've seen so more, 
Yeah, yes. I've seen more people standing there just with tears running down their yep. face, you know. She was uh, because our, Mitzi would come out and give yeah. them a moment of her She time. was in one of our state conventions and she literally signed autographs yes. after her speech. It was yes. awesome. It's like, she, oh, Mitzi, man. Mitzi was and is. She's still living. She's just she? the oh, that's most great. amazing lady. Wow. Yeah, really yes. just an incredible lady. Incredible. Yeah. So you get those kinds of experiences that you just can't get. There you go. No, there you go. And this is our culture. So it is in all of its different, you know, iterations. Mm -hmm. This is our culture Mm -hmm. of the blindness and Mm -hmm. uh, some of the low vision community. So everybody Mm -hmm. take advantage and we will let you know in our next newsletter next week. If, uh, if we get the online portion of this museum up and going and we will be more than happy to, um, to encourage everybody to come and visit you, Mike, this has been so much fun. We need to have it you back on again. Well, I would yeah. love to be back. It, um, you know, I, I, obviously I have a, a passion for these, <laughs> the stories, right? So this I is great. It. Well, next week talking about, uh, you know, passion and commitment on the 28th, same time, same place. We will be coming to you with the Veterans Memorial Museum here in Columbus, Ohio. I may be there live in person. I'm not sure. We haven't worked all that out yet, but we will have some special guests. And next week, we'll have Agent Wendell with us. Uh, Wendell is a veteran himself, and so he will be uh, coming to do the agenting on this museum. And we will have some guest explorers who are also veterans. So that'll be pretty exciting. And I want to thank, speaking of agents, wonderful agent Sierra. Woo, see, we always take you to the cool places, don't we? Yes, thank you for having me. This is another (laughs) awesome one. Absolutely. And of course, Stephanie, oh my gosh, who knew? That, you know, when he said Brillo, I thought nobody's going to know what that is, right? Nope, (laughs) Stephanie knew. (laughs) Awesome. The man behind the scenes making it all happen, Brian. (laughs) Now I'm going to give you another name. (laughs) And uh, that's when it goes, well, you're Brian. And when it gets screwed up, you're Ryan, right? Well, then I'm Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, uh, Ryan Ryan Bishop with us. And I am Janine Stanley. We will see you next week. Clubhouse. Uh, sorry for all the visuals, but, uh, you know, those are on YouTube. Those are for the sighties. You know, that's why I love Clubhouse, because that's our place, too. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why we have great folks like Sierra and everybody here on Afternoon at the Museum. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Janine. This has been Afternoon at the Museum from Ira, a description of life. For more information about Ira, visit www.ira.io.